electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer, one of the voices behind the CNBC podcast Squawk Pod. In these times of uncertainty, we want to make sure we're bringing you, our listeners, as much information as possible as quickly as we can. That's why we're sharing with you now a CNBC special report, Markets in Turmoil. Listen in. Good evening. I'm Scott Wapner. On day 185 of the coronavirus crisis, the U.S., just had its worst day since the pandemic began. A shocker from the state of Florida. 7,000 children are confirmed to have the virus. It's new evidence children are not immune. We were very concerned about clusters of people congregating in areas that are going to obviously be fertile ground for the spread of the virus. Georgia, Tennessee, report record new caseloads. I am optimistic and believe that we're on to something that is a very promising new vaccine. Pfizer shows progress on a vaccine. But when will it be ready and will there be enough for everyone? Please, please wear a face covering when you go out in public. And what kind of mask is best? This CNBC special report begins right now. Here's Scott Wapner. Welcome. Good to have you with us on this Wednesday night. We start with two shocking numbers tonight. 48,000, the number of cases confirmed in the United States, a new record. And 7,000, the amount of children who have now tested positive in the state of Florida alone since March. Dr. Scott Gottlieb is the former FDA commissioner, now a CNBC contributor. He joins us once again. Dr. Gottlieb, it's good to see you. Let's begin with these cases of children in the state of Florida. How alarming is this? What does it tell us about the age groups now that are susceptible to getting this virus? Well, we always knew children were susceptible. The belief is that they're less susceptible than adults, so they're less likely to contract the virus than adults, and that when they do get the virus, they're less likely to have a bad outcome. And the data seems to support that, but they're not impervious to the virus. They do get sick, they do get infected, and we have seen some bad outcomes in children. We also don't know what it looks like when this virus becomes epidemic in children. We don't know how many kids have actually had coronavirus. There aren't any good seroprevalence studies to look for antibodies in kids to see what the exposure has been in children. And it might be the case that a smaller percentage of kids in the United States have had this infection at this point than adults on a relative basis, because the very first thing we did when we had these epidemics was close the schools. And so that that closed off an avenue of spread. And I would venture to guess that parents with school-aged children were probably more adherent to the stay-at-home orders, wearing masks, good hygiene, because they were doing those things to protect their kids. So it might be the case that a smaller percentage of kids have actually been exposed, and so we don't know what it looks like when this becomes epidemic in children in the same way, for example, flu becomes epidemic in children every year. If the virus outbreak stays at the current pace, are we going to be able to send our kids to school in the fall? I don't think so in the South. I mean, if they don't if they don't correct the situation and they don't have a lot of time to do it in states like Texas, Georgia, Alabama, California, Florida, uh, Arizona, 
it's going to be very hard for local school districts, parents on boards of local school boards, to make decisions to open those schools. I think in the Northeast, we will be able to open the schools. In the North, I think parts of Northern California, San Francisco will be able to open the schools. We should really try to do that. There should be an emphasis on doing that because we might be in a situation where we have to close the schools again later on in the school year. Getting kids back to school, socializing them, getting them started on classroom learning. If we have to go to distance learning um, on a selected basis as outbreaks occur, it's going to be really important to get them back into the classroom, at least for a period of time. I think that a lot of states in the South really have lost the opportunity to do that because they have to make those decisions in July. Those schools open in August in many in many cases. And so they're probably going to have to at least start the year with schools closed in a lot of parts of those states. Do we know any more, Dr. Gottlieb, about that syndrome that had been affecting uh, growing numbers of, of children? And we haven't talked about, frankly, in six weeks to two months. So there was a really good analysis study uh, published in the New England Journal of Medicine about two days ago that I would encourage people to take a look at that gives sort of a qualitative assessment of 99 cases in New York City. It appears to be a post-viral syndrome that occurs about a month after the virus. Um, What we still don't know is what is the total number of kids who had the virus. We know how many kids had this syndrome. It appears to be sort of a post-viral inflammatory syndrome. Could be quite severe, sort of like a Kawasaki-type syndrome. Um, where you get inflammation of arterial vessels. It could, it could have disturbances in the heart. It's treatable. But what we don't know is how many kids have been infected with coronavirus. Are we seeing 100 cases and there's been, you know, 100,000 kids infected? Or are we seeing 100 cases and there's only been 5,000, 10,000 kids infected? It's probably the case that a lot of kids have had this in New York City, and it's a low-incidence event. And you do see these similar uh, post-viral types of syndromes with other viruses, including coronavirus, where you also see on rare occasions a Kawasaki-type syndrome with other forms of coronavirus. And so when you see these epidemics of viruses, enterovirus, echovirus, sort of move through a population, you will see a month later, three weeks later, um, a preponderance of these post-viral kinds of syndromes. So this isn't that unusual in many respects. We just don't know what the incidence is of it. Let's drill down, if we could, on some of the hottest of hotspots In the U.S. today, 6,500 new cases down in the state of Florida, which we just discussed. Governor DeSantis saying he's not going backwards. He's not going to shut things down. I'd like to remember what he said about his state, Dr. Gottlieb, back in May. We'll react to it on the other side. You got a lot of people in your profession who waxed poetically for weeks and weeks about how Florida was going to be just like New York. Wait two weeks. Florida's going to be next. Just like Italy. Wait two weeks. Well, hell, we're eight weeks away from that, and it hasn't happened. We have flattened the curve. Florida's done a truly remarkable job here because the people of Florida stepped up. Your governor, your administration stepped up. You implemented the guidance, not just for nursing homes, but for every American. Dr. Gottlieb, I turn back to you. Why has the situation in Florida grown so precarious? And what do you make of the fact that testing in that state is going down dramatically while cases are going in the opposite direction? Well, look, I think we need to show a lot of humility in the face of a virus that we don't fully understand that's very contagious and wants to course its way through the population and become epidemic. And we shouldn't take anything for granted. This is a deadly virus. It's highly contagious. It's going to continue to threaten us until we get to a vaccine or we get to higher levels of spread where it just starts to reduce, the transmission starts to be reduced because a lot of people have had it, or we start to take universal measures like universal masking where we're taking precautions on an individual basis, on a wide basis, that's going to reduce the spread. Now, testing um, is 
up substantially in this country. We're testing well more than a half million people a day. That's going to continue to grow. But it's not a national testing market. It's very regional. So a lot of states have a lot of capacity, but they don't have the ability to move that capacity around. So when this becomes epidemic in states like Texas or Florida, suddenly they become pressed in terms of their ability to expand that capacity. And that's what you're seeing right now. You're seeing effectively under testing. You're seeing shortages of of supplies and equipment to do the testing. And you're seeing delayed turnaround times because Florida can't suddenly increase its testing capacity dramatically. You can't move the testing capacity in Massachusetts down to Florida. Really, the only swing capacity we have in this country is Quest, LabCorp, and Bioreference Labs, the large commercial um, national laboratory chains. And they can only do so much to move testing into a market where there's a great need because they have a lot of obligations in other markets as well. We mentioned some of these stunning numbers at the top of our program. I'd like to read you a couple others tonight and discuss the positivity rate now in Arizona, 28 percent. That is truly stunning. California today with nearly 10,000 new cases. Governor Cuomo here in New York calling the national covid situation today, quote, out of control. You agree with him? We don't have control of this. Um, You know, whether or not this gets to the scale of what New York experienced, which was truly tragic, is is hard to to see. But it's going to be hard to get control of this. It's going to take some time. You you say, though, that we're actually having perhaps 10 times as many infections as we're recording every day. If we're recording 40,000 plus new cases a day, is that number really 400,000, Dr. Gottlieb? 400,000 infections. CDC has said that as well. They said we're diagnosing one in 10. And in states where this is epidemic, we're probably doing a little worse. We're probably more like one in 15 right now in states like Texas and Florida, Arizona, where you see the positivity rate going up because they're under testing. So there's probably 400 to 500,000 infections a day and maybe 200 to 300,000 actual cases, symptomatic people. Many are mildly symptomatic, so they're not presenting for testing. I'm going to ask you to stay with me. I'll be back to you in just a second, Dr. Gottlieb. Right now, Pfizer and BioNTech releasing positive results today from the closely watched coronavirus vaccine early stage human trials this morning. Dr. Carlos Del Rio is with the Emory Vaccine Center, joins us this evening. Doctor, it's good to see you. Thanks for being here. Great to be with you. Small study. We're talking 24 people, but the results were good. How would you characterize them? Yes, this is a very exciting result. It's, it's a phase one study. It's like an, another mRNA vaccine, just like the Moderna vaccine. They did three doses, a 10 microgram, a 30 microgram, and a 100 microgram. It was the lower doses that, that were tolerated. The 100 microgram was, too, 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 was not well tolerated. So somewhere between 10 and 30 will be the dose going forward. They gave two injections, two injections that were well tolerated. And most importantly, in both lower doses, uh, they saw neutralizing antibodies against the, the binding protein, the spike protein, that were many times higher than those seen in people that have recovered from coronavirus. So that is really very, very encouraging and gives the, uh, the go-ahead to now start the phase two study, which they're starting next week, and pretty soon to start the phase three study, the efficacy study. So again, it's another exciting vaccine together with the Moderna and the AstraZeneca that are moving forward at a, a rapid speed. To, to a phase three. Can you say tonight definitively who's in the lead in the race for a vaccine? You know, it's a, uh, I mean, we're, we're, this is a, a baseball game and we're in the, in the bottom of the second. It's hard to know who's in the lead. I mean, people are beginning to have some hits and people are beginning to score some runs, but we have a long way to go. I think, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding will be in the phase three and the phase three is really where, you know, the efficacy of the vaccine. That's when re- really, you know, the vaccine 
yes, produces neutralizing antibodies, but are those neutralizing antibodies protected? Do they protect from infection? Do they protect from disease? I think it's too early to say. I think at this point in time, all vaccines are about at the same level, but the issue is going to be what's going to happen when we when we have the results of the phase three. Can we get to, to use your analogy to the baseball, can we get to the ninth inning by the end of this year? I think so. I think there's a lot of of push to get done. And I think also we're, we're seeing something totally unprecedented, which is the government has partnered through BARDA with the companies to start producing this vaccine. So millions of doses of these vaccines are going to start to be produced before we know if they're effective. So by the time we have the result, it's not going to be, oh, now we have to produce millions of doses. They can just pull them out and use them. So my guess is that maybe it's not going to be one vaccine. We may have two, we may have three, we may have four that actually are effective. And that in a way is good. You know, Dr. Fauci has said that we need a lot of shots on goal, but we also need a lot of those shots to be goals. So the more vaccines we have that are effective, the better we're going to be. Because vaccinating, you know, 300 million people in the U.S., vaccinating, you know, six, seven billion people around the world is not going to be an easy task. What's, an eff- what, what's a realistic time frame to be able to, to do that? I know you just said, and, and we know we're, we're producing these Uh, doses as we're testing them so we can ramp up production. But what's realistic to think when we're actually going to be able to be vaccinating large, large numbers of people? So I think there's a hopeful and there's a realistic. The hopeful is we know the results in sometime in November, December. Some people say we may know them in October. You know, people want to say this will be the October surprise right before the election saying we have a vaccine. But we'll know the results sometime around there. And then, you know, they're going to start to roll it out to first, you know, to frontline workers, health workers, to frontline personnel, to military, and and probably somewhere in healthcare workers, and probably somewhere in the spring to the fall to the summer of next year, we will start vaccinating at a, at a population level. I think that's the optimistic look. The realistic look is I think we're still about a year away before we can actually say we're beginning to really do broad vaccination programs. Mm, good to hear your perspective. Dr. Del Rio, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Happy to be with you. Yep. That's Dr. Carlos Del Rio joining us. Dr. Gottlieb, I turn back to you. I know you cannot comment specifically on Pfizer, given you're on the board of directors. However, more broadly, assess where you are this evening in terms of the race for a vaccine. Are you as optimistic as the doctor we just spoke with? I am. And look, I'll comment briefly on on the Pfizer uh, results. I'm very encouraged by the results. The company's made a big commitment to developing this product. I think uh, the doctor made a fair comment that we need more than one company to be successful here. I think in an ideal world, we would have multiple products coming to the market um, because it's going to take multiple manufacturers. And I think we all also need to be very encouraged by the fact that very, the very large vaccine manufacturers are in this hunt. Merck, Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, Sanofi. So they're all working on products. How do we deal, though, with what the doctor just told us as well, being overly optimistic versus being realistic as to when we can get of vaccinations going out to very large numbers of people. Yeah, look, I think the realistic scenario, but still an optimistic one, is that mass vaccination is going to be an early 2021 event. I think it's going to be challenging to get a vaccine approved, get the big phase three clinical trials done this year. We may be able to do it right before the end of the year, but I think we really need to figure that we're probably going to have this available early 2021. And if it comes earlier, that's great. But we're going to need to get through the fall and the early winter without a vaccine. That's for sure. So we need to plan for that. I'll be back with you in just a second, Dr. Gottlieb. Florida Atlantic University today out with a study judging the safety of different kinds of masks. Manhar Danak is the co-author of the research. He's with us live tonight. Sir, it's good to have you here. Thank you. 
Thanks for having me. Tell us exactly what you found in an issue now that has become absolutely front and center in this country. So what we found was that, as uh, Dr. Fauci always says, the masks work. And we find that uh, any kind of face covering um, uh, helps to, uh, uh, somewhat uh, to different levels and different degrees. So, for, uh, for example, you know, in the, with an uncovered uh, cough can uh, travel uh, up to 8 to 10, uh, 12 feet. Uh, the small droplets within that uh, can, can go that far is the aerosol-sized droplets. Uh, if you have, a, a, say, a bandana-type um, uh, covering that can uh, uh, st- stop, uh, stop it or, or uh, slow it down, and it can only go about uh, four foot. But then if you take different types of masks, you find that they do much better. Uh, and the one that we found uh, did the best was a, a stitch mask. Uh, it all depends on the fabric and the construction of the mask. And the one that we found worked best was uh, uh, one made of uh, quilted quilting um, uh, cotton uh, fabric, uh, and uh, that tends to uh, uh, create a good uh, way of uh, stopping the, uh, the droplets from uh, uh, getting through the mask. So one of the things that uh, we we find is that uh, wearing a mask does help. Uh, but uh, some of the um, uh, droplets uh, do escape from around the face. So how well it fits on your face is also important. And so what happens with that is that the uh, if it doesn't uh, fit so well, uh, the um, droplets escape from the side of the mask, and they can then be carried uh, away uh, by um, breezes, such as from an uh, air conditioning system. But uh, overall, uh, what we found is that the you know we, uh, using this uh, uh, method that uh, wearing a mask is uh, very uh, useful and it does help. It uh, reduces the risk of uh, uh, spreading the, um, the the virus mm-hmm. uh, in an airborne uh, way. Mr. Janak, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being with us. Okay, thank you. I turn back to Dr. Gottlieb now. Uh, so. Pennsylvania, Dr. Gottlieb, is now requiring masks. Are are we turning a corner, uh, do you think, on the issue itself? Are we going to start seeing more people than we have, certainly in the past, wearing these masks? I think so. And I think we're going to see more states mandate masks. I think most states are going to come around to that because the reality is we really don't have an alternative um, we're not going to be able to shut down the economy again. We're not going to issue broad stay-at-home orders. There's great reluctance to do that because... We have a weaker economic economic picture right now that we're doing that on top of. And so the only thing we can do that's a simple intervention that can reduce the rate of transmission um, short of shutting things down is universal masking. And so I think you're going to see more states reach for that. What about the supply of of masks, say N95 and, and similar? Are we getting better? We're getting better, but what's happening is a lot of states and hospitals now are stockpiling the, the N95 masks. There's not as much in the consumer channel. It is available to consumers right now. You can go to websites like Acumed and buy those N95 masks, so consumers can get them. They're expensive. They're between 5 and $8 each, but you can get a, an N95 mask or a KN95 that has been cleared by uh, European authorities. And so what you should look for is masks on, on the FDA's website that have gone through the testing with uh, an agency called NIOSH, 
where they've actually certified that they filter out the appropriate amount of particulate matter. Um, but those masks, those higher quality masks are available and, and quality does matter here. So the higher quality masks do offer more protection. Um, the N95 masks are about 96 percent effective in some studies with coronavirus. Surgical masks are only about 67 percent effective. So this, the other masks are less effective. If you're going to wear a surgical mask, look for a level three surgical mask. That's the highest quality surgical mask that you can wear. Understand. I'm going to get to some of our Twitter questions in, in just a second. I do have a, a, a final question, though. And that is, we, we didn't get to it last night, this new virus that is being talked about in China. What do you know about it? What can you tell us about it as it's the last thing that anybody needs to hear nor wants to hear right now that there's something else to be concerned about potentially in China? Well, look, it's, concern- it's an H1N1 virus that was found in a pig. It does have the ability to jump, uh, jump species and become a human virus. It doesn't seem to be that virulent, that uh, deadly in humans. And so that's one of the reassuring aspects of this. But we're going to see these emerging pathogens all the time. And eventually there's going to be another one that is able to jump species as contagious in humans and also more virulent. This doesn't appear to be that virus, but, uh, but it has concerning characteristics and it's just a harbinger of future dangers. Yeah, hopefully we won't have to worry about it anytime soon. Let me get to some Twitter questions if I could. First one, is there any anecdotal feedback on the efficacy of monoclonal antibody therapies in trials? We have some um, feedback in other settings. We don't have any data yet on the monoclonal antibodies that are being developed against coronavirus, but I'm pretty optimistic still that one or more of these drugs will work. The theoretical basis for why these drugs should be effective in a setting is well established. Next question. There's clearly a spike in cases and it's cause for concern. But if deaths are thankfully continuing to go down, are we overreacting to the spike in cases? Well, look, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to be concerned about coronavirus besides just the uh, crude fatality rate. This causes a lot of morbidity. There was a study out yesterday saying a third of patients who were uh, symptomatic, had the virus, were symptomatic and treated as an outpatient, hadn't recovered, hadn't fully recovered their function 14 to 21 days after um, first getting tested for the virus and testing positive. In a flu study, an analogous flu study, everyone had recovered after 14, 20 days. So this does cause a lot of morbidity. I think tragically, we're going to see the number of deaths go back up because there's just a lot of infection. It is the case that the death rate, our ability to preserve life is getting better. And I would expect the case fatality rate to perhaps be cut in half uh, with all the innovations in treatment. I mean, we're going to see substantial improvements in our ability to preserve life, but we're still going to lo- lose a lot of lives because there's just a lot of infection. Yeah. Next, how do you determine, this is a good question, how do you determine if someone is truly asymptomatic versus just pre-symptomatic due to the virus's long incubation period? You have to wait. I mean, um, you know, there is, a, there is people who are asymptomatic and stay asymptomatic. And then people who are pre-symptomatic, they're contagious when they're pre-symptomatic. Actually, you're most contagious 0.7 days before you develop symptoms. So right before you develop symptoms on average. It is the case for most people, the incubation period is five to seven days. So we talk about 14 days. That's the outlier. Most people are going to develop symptoms within five to seven days. So you're not going to be pre-symptomatic for a very long period of time, maybe a day or two. Last question uh, from my son, Dylan, Dr. Gottlieb. He wants to know when it's going to be okay to go to a friend's house again and play some basketball. What, what advice would you have for him? Because he's not listening to the, the advice I'm giving him. <laughs> Look, I'm letting my kids uh, socialize with some friends. I'm just careful about the social circles. I think making sure you pay attention to what the network is and keep it small is the most important thing. You're not going to be able to keep your kids in the house 
uh, in perpetuity. So we need to take some risks uh, with our children. All right. I hope he was listening to that. Dr. Gottlieb, I appreciate it. Enjoy the holiday weekend. Thanks That's a lot. Dr. Scott Gottlieb joining us tonight. Now to Florida's devastated restaurant business, many having to shut down for a second time. Guy Clark is the president of Sizzle Restaurant Week, which was just canceled. He's with us live tonight. Guy, I appreciate you reaching out to us and uh, good welcome. Thank you for having me. You have a big food festival every year that I know uh, brings in a lot of revenue that's down to zero now. It is, sadly. It is. We just had to cancel it, as you had said, and we're hoping that things look better down the road. We can bring it back again. We're talking one hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars, perhaps, that you, you would have lost this year. You probably have a, a really good read on the state of the restaurant business down there, given the number of places that were probably affiliated with the festival. What can you tell us? Oh, that is true. We have over 60 to 70 restaurants that are participating with this event with Restaurant Week that we throw twice a year. And the majority of them right now are scared, um, not just for the lack of being able to make make money, but basically for, you know, what's happening in the health scene. Yeah. How's the industry going to look on the other side of this, do you think? Uh, that's going to be I, I don't know. Um you know, right now, everybody's just trying to follow the guidelines, get through and see what this disease is bringing to us, what the virus is bringing. Um, it's going to really depend on, you know, how the trend is going. You see what's happening in Florida if I follow your tweets. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, we're talking about a serious situation uh, down in Florida, which we've it been is. talking about for, for days. It, it only seems to be getting worse how does that factor into the, just the way you're thinking about the industry down there? Just when you think you catch a break, here we are worried yeah. about outbreaks again. We were looking a couple of weeks ago, we were really starting to feel like, OK, this is turning the corner. We're going to start going. Maybe we can get this thing, you know, heading. We can push off the festival uh, to August or something. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the tests are coming back higher. The test results are coming back worse. Hospitalizations are slightly up and down. Um, things definitely took a different turn. So on the restaurant scene, for the restaurants themselves, and, and now the governor just shut down all of the bars themselves, so we can't do any bars. But with the restaurants, they're really scared because they're still at 50%. People aren't really going out to eat. And then as far as for restaurant week itself, it's practically dead in the water right now. There probably won't be a restaurant week for a while. Yeah, we wish you and everybody well. Uh, thank you for reaching out to us. I'm glad we had this conversation. Thank you very much for having me. All right, you take care. That's Guy Clark joining us. There's a lot more ahead tonight. Next, the summer basketball season and the risks involved from the perspective of a former star player and safety in the sky ahead of this busy 4th of July weekend. First, our country on Wednesday night, July 1st, 2020. Let's get straight to the point. 
you want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Welcome back. The Dow is starting the month falling 78 points. The S&P 500 and NASDAQ scratching out gains. The NASDAQ closing at a record high. Big moves today in Amgen, Netflix, Facebook and Amazon helping out the NAS. Take a look at futures right now before the July 4th holiday. And we are modestly negative across the board on day 185 of the crisis. Here are some more headlines on the virus. Apple is closing 30 more stores this week across the country, bringing the total to 77 stores that will have shut down yet again. And McDonald's pausing its reopening plans for dine-in service. U.S. auto sales plunging in the second quarter as the pandemic took a toll on that industry. GM, Toyota, and Fiat Chrysler sales all down more than 30%. And Pennsylvania now requiring masks whenever someone leaves their homes. Well, while the world waits for the NBA season to restart, kids can now learn online from the best in basketball. Kenny the Jet Smith is a two-time NBA champion. He is the founder of the Jet Academy, a virtual basketball camp starting in the midst of this crisis. Kenny, it's good to see you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. How are you doing over there? Doing very well and hope you are too. Tell me about the Jet Academy. Well, you know, I was sitting at home and, uh, you know, obviously the pandemic quarantine, the social distancing, and my kids were, I'm like, camps are canceled. I had a basketball camp, canceled. Going to Europe, canceled. So, you know, I just, I figured, I'm like, what can we do? And so I just created a virtual, the first ever virtual basketball camp for kids, any age. It works on any device, as long as you have cell service or Wi-Fi, and you get, basically, it's a live event with your favorite basketball players. We have Kemba Walker from the Boston Celtics, four-time All-Star, Trey Young, NBA All-Star, Victor Oladipo. We have Brianna Stewart, NBA, uh, WNBA MVP, Brittany Griner. And then we're basically going to be your, your, your workout partner for two hours when you sign up at thejetacademycamp.com. I, I just felt that it, you, you shouldn't, your development shouldn't stop just because of quarantine or social distancing. I love it. It sounds like it's going to go long, uh, go on for a while. Eighty nine dollars a month, two hundred ninety four dollars for a six month membership. Right. And three hundred forty nine dollars for the year. So you intend on carrying this on for a while. Yes. Twenty nine ninety nine a month was basically a dollar a month, you know, um, that you come in, you sign up. And again, it works on any device and, and you just work out side by side live because I, I knew I grew up in the era of the, the Billy Blanks where put in the tape and you're like, <laughs> you know, <so> <laughs> but our kids, they consume and produce information live. They, you know, 
you want to, they want to answer, they want questions, they want to upload their videos. So we just provided all of that in our uh, camp. So as you're in the camp, you can do all of those things side by side with your favorite players in the WNBA and the NBA. Uh, and you're going to learn from the best. And, and that, to me, separates everything else. Yeah, you, uh, you just dated us with the Billy Blank things, but uh, <laughs> uh, that's okay. We both know what you're talking about. I mean, this is literally like a master class for hoops, right? We see Steph Curry and people at the top of their professions in that master class series. But I love the fact that this is live. It sounds so interesting and so different. Yeah, that's the different. That's the separator. I, I mean, you know, we, we go Facebook live, Instagram live, Twitter live. Everything is momentary. So my kids, can, they were doing classes at home. So it's important to have the live element. You can watch it again. It does live on the site. It does. But and we do have a library. But it's more important to be live because you can interact. You see the actual mistakes that the players might make. I was talking to Kimba Walker, and, he, and I said, hey, he has this move where he pulls back the ball and people fall on the floor in the NBA. So you got to show that move when we do this. He's like, okay, yeah. I said, but you have to tell kids when and why you do it. He's like, wait, whoa, you want me to give me all the secrets? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, yeah, you got to give our community, you know, that's the difference of being having a personal trainer and having someone like you is when and why. He says, all right, but if Patrick Beverly signs up for it, we're not <laughs> – I'm not any NBA players. We're going to cut it off. Yeah. Speaking of of NBA players, what do you make of sort of where we are in the the quest to get the season going again? Well, in the NBA, we were the first to um, our sport was the first to stop. You know, major sport to stop. Uh, I think which really ignited you know where we are in terms of businesses as well in terms of in the pandemic. And now it looks like we're going to be the first to start. So I'm I'm optimistic, but I'm actually cautious as well because. You know, this is very contagious, as you know, contagious uh, virus. And, um, you know, you, I don't know if you can prevent it, but you could have precautions that, you know, really reduce your levels to possibly, you know, access to it. So I'm optimistic, but at the same time, I'm super cautious. If you were still playing, would you go? If I was still playing, depending on what Kenny Smith you asked, 21, 22, 23, 24-year-old <laughs> Kenny Smith, I'd go. Because I was I was single, no kids. My parents lived in New York. I played in Sacramento and Houston. I, it wasn't. But when I, 30-year-old with kids, my parents moved closer and I have more responsibilities, I would think about it differently. So young Kenny, oh, I'm there. I was living by myself. I don't have any responsibilities other than myself. <laughs> I appreciate your insight. Again, the Jet Academy. What's the website again? JetAcademyCamp.com. You get your kids out of the on the computer, but they're actually active for two hours with the NBA and WNBA's best MVPs of the league, all stars. They're going to be their personal trainer for two hours a day. All you have to do is sign up. The best rate I always say is the twenty nine ninety nine a month. That's when it's basically a dollar a day yep. that you're going to have your kids work out. Oh, last thing, Shaq. Shaq is Shaq. Shaq just said literally just got off the phone with him. He's like. We have a discount code. He's going to pay $35 off the first 10,000 kids. And we call it, all you have to do is put that big shack in the discount code. Big shack, you get $35 off, courtesy of my guy, Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, that's great. All right, we wish you well. Kenny the Jet Smith, thank you. Thank you. All right, you take care. Here's what's coming up next. 
when you walk in, if you're not wearing a mask, you're asked to put yours on or give one to you. For some in this country, a cab or bus to the airport is unthinkable. They got from point A to point B by chopper. See what that's going to look like this holiday weekend in two minutes. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create. Like Olu Shei, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. given a touchless temperature check. Tonight, new safety protocols in the air. And then the pandemic hit and everything just kind of fell to the wayside. Three entrepreneurs making their way on Main Street. This CNBC special report continues. Once again, here's Scott Wapner. The pandemic is accelerating demand for private controllable travel. Here's the founder and CEO of helicopter travel company Blade, Rob Wiesenthal, on how he is making everyone safe. When you walk in, if you're not wearing a mask, you're asked to put yours on or we will give one to you. You're immediately given a touchless temperature check. You have to be underneath 100.4. And then you have a, a handheld oximeter. You put your finger in for less than five seconds. We read it. And if it's above 94, you're good to go. The combination of temperature and oxygen levels, uh, coupled with mandatory mask wearing, really was as much of an unbeatable combination as you possibly can institute. Obviously, after the start of the pandemic, when the airlines drastically cut their schedules, we had a lot of uh, fantastic cars and fantastic drivers. We came up with a system where we modified the cars, put in partitions, electrostatically uh, decontaminated the cars with fogging machines and taught a protocol to drivers that include arriving at a staging area in the morning where their temperature checked and oxygen checked became so popular that we opened it up to the public. So you can go on the Blade app and book what we call an essential ground connect, which is a safe SUV you can actually use for your central travel anywhere in the tri-state area. One of the things that we learned was don't look at where you are right now or what you're hearing try to figure out where you see the market moving to and what the likely impacts are uh, on your business and how you can leverage your core competencies. I think by definition, all companies that successfully make it through this pandemic will come out stronger. 
Rob Wiesenthal now joins us live. Rob, good to see you. Good to see you. Interesting, all the things that you're doing. How's business right now? Uh, business is different, uh, but it's uh, going strong. Jet Charter is extremely strong. Metamobility, where we move organs uh, on behalf of uh, local hospitals and regional hospitals, going quite strong. Uh, and the leisure market is starting to pick up to uh, Nantucket, uh, the Jersey Coast, the Hamptons, and the like. It's interesting. I'm wondering if, because of people working at home, if they went out to their vacation houses earlier than they otherwise would have and just stayed there rather than commuting back and forth, it took away from the helicopter business at all. Uh, it really changed their schedules. I think that uh, a lot of people clearly who had uh, the luxury of having a second home were kind of quarantining in, in their second homes. Uh, the offices in New York City, as you know, many of them are closed, but they're now coming back to the city uh, to do various things, doctor's appointments, errands. As we moved to phase two, we really did see a pickup in volume seven days a week. So the rhythm of leaving for a resort destination or a second home on a Friday, coming back on a Sunday has changed. Uh, it could be leaving on a Monday, coming back on a Wednesday. And it's also interesting to point out that people, despite the fact that their schedules may be flexible, are still adhering to things like July 4th weekend, where we have a big weekend ahead, uh, Fridays and Sundays, uh, but it really has become a seven-day-a-week uh, business. What about the cost of outfitting the the SUVs that you have, those safe SUVs? Interesting idea uh, for certain. How much did it cost you to outfit all, all of those? It re really was much less about the outfitting and much more about the training. In terms of outfitting, we have plexiglass uh, uh, partitions that block the driver's row from the passenger row. Uh, we ensure that the air conditioning is not recirculated, so you're getting fresh air from the outside, and that the air between the two uh, uh, areas, the passenger row and the uh, passenger rows and the driver rows, are separated. But the real uh, the real money came in in terms of training and also staging for oxygen checks for drivers, temperature checks. All drivers wear uh, gloves and masks, and basically the protocols. Even asking a passenger, "Is it okay if I can pick up?" your luggage, or would you prefer to handle it yourself? Uh, it's clear that ride-sharing cars have inconsistency in terms of uh, both health and safety protocol, but also cleanliness. This is largely because uh, they're not full-time employees. It, they're people who are really working part-time into the gig economy. And our flyers really wanted to have that same level of focus on health and safety uh, on the way to the airport or the heliport uh, as they do in the air and in our private lounges. How long do you think it's going to take before things get back to what you knew as normal? I think, you know, things are, are going to, there are going to be some permanent changes for sure. Uh, I think that uh, once people start moving again, and I believe people start moving again in volume pre-vaccine, uh, there are things that will be some permanent changes. I think it's clear uh, that, um, uh, reduced density in cabins of all types of aircraft is important. We've removed middle seats from helicopters. Our Blade One jet service to Miami is a 65-person jet that only has 16 seats, eight seats on each side. Every seat is an aisle uh, and a, uh, a window seat. Uh, clearly, cleanliness and hygiene on board will take uh, a much more uh, important role. Uh, we do electrostatic fogging decontamination for every flight on all our aircraft. And then finally, uh, you know, the idea of traveling when you're not feeling well or going to work when you're not feeling well, that used to be an annoyance and now that's a health hazard. So I think that's going away. Being on a plane and hearing someone cough 
was an annoyance before. I think temperature checks is something we'll probably see well into the future, but we are looking forward to the public rebuilding the safety and their trust and confidence in travel. That's just going to take some time. Appreciate you sharing your story with us. Rob, take care. Take care. That's again, Rob Wiesenthal with Blade. Here's what's coming up next. kind of anticipate times with slow sales. You don't really anticipate times with no sales. How to survive on Main Street USA in unprecedented times like these. Three businesses, three unique solutions, three stories you'll want to know about next. First, our world on the 185th day of the coronavirus crisis. While Texas hospitals struggle to care for the sick during the outbreak in the Lone Star State, businesses on Main Street in East Austin struggle to survive. Here's Andrea Day. East Austin is historically an African-American cultural district. It is rich with African-American history and culture and now diversity. For a long time, this has been an economically depressed neighborhood, uh, but it has been going through gentrification. Business before COVID-19 was actually on the rise. Of course, then the pandemic hit and everything just kind of fell to the wayside. Alta Alexander owns Altitudes, an upscale clothing boutique. I have probably lost about three quarters of my sales and my revenue. I had to quickly pivot, and I'm, I'm glad that I already had Um, a website presence, and also an e-commerce platform. To make a tough situation worse, a fire tore through the business next door, and it crushed Alta's business. We lost everything. We lost all of our merchandise uh, due to smoke, soot, and water. Steps away from the fire is Full Circle Bar, whose owner is living his own nightmare. Our bar has been pretty much completely without revenue since March 15th. You kind of anticipate times with slow sales. You don't really anticipate times with no sales. So we had to reduce everybody's hours to zero. We were going to operate the backyard of our bar at 25% capacity. But with the surge that's happening right now in Austin and Austin extending the shelter-in-place order, we are scrapping our plans to reopen our backyard this weekend uh, because we just don't feel like it's safe right now. Down the street is King Tears mortuary. The funeral home business is more than a century old. When families come, we take their temperature at the front door. Also, masks are mandatory. Most families choose to do live stream or they do a graveside service. One of my biggest frustrations that we've had is not being able to get the proper PPEs that we need. We're on the front lines as well, but we're on the back end of this fight with the last responders but the best responders. I'm hoping to come back. Um, I'm hoping to come back in the same spot. Uh, Before I had a very diverse clientele and I believe that that as I go on, that clientele is going to continue to, um, to be a melting pot. It's hard to say that I'm optimistic about our survival at this point. I mean, we're fighting to survive, but, but it's not easy. 
Andrea Day, CNBC. And we sure wish everybody the best of luck. Tonight's headlines and the restaurants cooking through the crisis are next. The five restaurants in our nightly shout out to those operating in the face of this crisis. Reed Spring Pizza Company in Reed Spring, Missouri. Clark's Oyster Bar in Aspen, Colorado. Po' Boys in Portland, Oregon. The Chicken Box in Louisville, Kentucky. And Birkins on Oak in Hartford, Connecticut. You can tweet me at Scott Wapner CNBC with the hashtag thanks for the grub, the name and the town of your favorite restaurant. Send us a picture as well. We'll get it on TV. For all of us here at CNBC, I'm Scott Wapner. Have a great night. Be safe. The Shark Tank is next. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.